Our children uh, may be dismissed with our volunteers in the back to Children's Church. For those of you who remain, uh, and those of you who are joining us on the live stream, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Titus chapter 1. We'll be looking at verse 10 through chapter 2, verse 1. It's on page 998 of the Pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along. And our sermon is entitled, Liars, Evil Beasts, and Lazy Gluttons. I was going to name it something a little more tame, but TJ decided this was better. (laughs) And based on the number of texts I got from you this week asking which which category each of you fit into, I would say TJ is right. Um, it, It definitely grabs your attention. And we'll find out why. Titus, verse 10, chapter 1. This is God's word. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us to understand what you would have us know from this. That we might not be found unfit for the good works you call your people to be about, but that we might be purified in you and devoted to good works that flow out of our love and joy in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What, What are we known for? As a church... As a particular church, the church in general, what are we known for? If you were to find some random individual on the street, in the college classroom, in the workplace, who's never been to church, doesn't have any Christian friends, and you were to ask them, what is the church known for? How would they answer? Would they bring up the Crusades? I would always get the Crusades when I was dealing with college students. What about the Crusades? What about them? Are we known for for being affiliated with a particular political party? Are we known for the hypocrisy of our leaders who say one thing and it comes out later that they've lived something completely different? 
Are we known for abuse and oppression and manipulation? What are we known for? Or are we known for the love and grace of Christ? For being peacemakers? For tearing down walls of hostility? For caring for the poor and downtrodden? For overflowing with kindness and good news to those who need to hear it? What are we known for? There are... Amongst the churches in Crete, a faction of false teachers that were causing no small amount of trouble for the Apostle Paul and his uh, son in the faith, Titus. And, And just as Paul has finished describing to Titus the sort of leaders that the church should aspire to have, the sort of elders who have the the character and quality of Christ-likeness in them, that that Titus should be seeking those people out, training them and appointing them into leadership positions. Just as he's finished talking about what the, the leadership of the church ought to be known for and ought to be about, he turns now to these other sorts of leaders, these false teachers who are going about and causing all kinds of problems. And he contrasts what they're known for, with what the church ought to be known for. He lists for us seven characteristics of false teachers and says, this is not what you should be about. You should be known for something completely different. And so we're going to look at those. And I know when the preacher says, I have just seven points in my sermon for you, that you're like, okay, we'll, we'll be here for a while. But we're just going to run through them briefly. Always coming back to this question. What then are we known for? The first characteristic that I want us to consider is that these false teachers deceived people. Paul says that they are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. It's an interesting word that he chooses here to be insubordinate because what these teachers were doing is they were going about and teaching people about what they thought Christianity ought to be about. And in so doing, they were denying the apostolic witness. They were teaching a form of the gospel that was really no gospel at all. Especially, Paul says, those of the circumcision party who were going about and saying, yes, 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 Jesus is the Messiah and the Christ, the Lord of all things. But in order for you to be truly counted among his people, you must first adopt the Jewish rules and regulations, circumcision, food laws, purity laws, Sabbath laws. And then you can entrust yourself to Christ once you have done these things. And they were teaching this in direct violation of the apostolic witness proclaimed after the the church council that we read about in Acts 15, where the leaders of the church gathered, the apostles gathered, and they considered this question, should we require the Gentiles to convert to Judaism before they can come to Christ? And the answer was no, let's not put this burden on people. 
They should come to Christ. And of course, this should transform the way they live. They should love their brothers. They shouldn't do things that would make them an offense to their Jewish brothers and sisters. But they don't have to adopt these rules and regulations in order to come to Christ. And so these insubordinate, empty talkers were going about saying, Oh, no, 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 that's, that's not the way it really is. And so Paul calls them out on it. And tells Titus, this young pastor, you instead, you should be about teaching what accords with sound doctrine. What is faithful to scripture. What holds true to that apostolic witness. What lifts up the person and work of Christ truly and rightly. That he was born the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. But the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From that place he will come to judge the living and the dead. And until that time we believe in the Holy Spirit, the universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. We have good news. It doesn't lean on ancient customs or old laws or the works of the flesh in order to gain favor from God, but finds favor in God's own grace and his desire and willingness and power to forgive sin and grant everlasting life to all who come to him in faith. Are we known... For teaching the whole counsel of Scripture clearly, without shame, are we known for proclaiming good news to the lost? Are we known for calling people to newness of life, a life that reflects their calling in Christ? Or are we known as those who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, teaching people that what Christianity is really about is what we wish it were about. False teachers, they deceive, but the church ought to teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. False teachers also divide. We read that they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. They are overturning families, pitting husbands against wives, fathers against children, parents against grandparents. They are just causing no small amount of ruckus, tearing things down. How and why? They're they're coming into places where, into, into families, into communities where they've heard the gospel. And they've come to faith in Christ and they're, they're bringing new Additions and regulations. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, Paul's great, but but now to be truly spiritual, do all these other extra things. And there's some who are saying, oh, that doesn't sound like what we received in Christ. And there are others like all in. And it's tearing families apart. It's creating division. It's creating layers of spirituality. It's it's letting some become more holy than others in their reputation and self-assessment. And it's letting these false teachers be lifted up as those who have the secret truths. 
It's not unlike what we see nowadays with what's commonly called platforming of leaders, right? This happens in the secular world and in the business world, but it happens in the church as well, where through social media or videos or books and publications, movies, whatever, individual teachers find ways to platform themselves and they can have such a vast reach and they can connect to all sorts of people and they can say just about whatever they want to say. And some of them are faithful and they use their platform for good. Some of them teach a twisted gospel. Some of them are only in it for the likes and the shares and the follows and the reputation and the glory and the money. And how often does it come about that we get news of yet another, one of those leaders who's at the top that all of these people listen to, that all of these people download their podcast and their sermons and watch their videos and read their books, and it just comes out later, oh, but they're cheating on their spouse. They're only in it for the money. They've been lying on their taxes. They don't actually live out any of the stuff they've told us we should believe. Because what was more important to them was the platform. But the church ought to silence that kind of teaching. And the word there for silence is, is uh, connected to a, a bit and bridle for the horse. What, what Paul is saying is, Titus, you as the church and the leaders in the church, you need to rein that stuff in. And you need to speak with clarity and with power about what Scripture really says. You need to guide people to the truth. And you need to call them to a way of life that reflects that truth. That doesn't tear down families. That doesn't pit the more holy against the less holy. That doesn't make division between the strong and the weak. But that builds up and makes peace. Just like the passage that we we read about in Romans where Paul is saying, Look, you who are strong in the faith, make yourself weak. For the sake of the other, don't use your freedom, don't use your power, don't use your platform to tear down, but build up. How many times does the scripture say, you who are in these positions of influence, be peacemakers, win people over. If they don't want to hear you talk about the gospel, win them over with your way of life. If they don't respect your way of life, endure that suffering with joy because that's the very same way they treated Christ. But in all things, put others first. Love your neighbor as yourself. In so doing, you fulfill all the law of the prophets. But these teachers were running about tearing everything down for their own shameful gain. Are we known for being a people who don't tear down families or institutions, but who tear down the dividing walls of hostility that divide us? Are we known for building people up? Are we known for bringing renewal to families and to communities and to institutions? These false teachers were dividing for their own shameful gain, and in so doing, they defrauded others. They teach for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. And, and in this, they're not, they're not even 
They're not even trying to be selfless. They're just getting more and more and more. This is why Paul brings up this comment about the Cretans. Because these false teachers were, weren't doing the real work of ministry. To point out idols. To call people to repentance. To call them away from sin. To call them back to Christ. They were calling them to traditions. To human works. To follow these Jewish myths. And, and the commands of man-made, man-made commands and rules. And they weren't actually getting to people's hearts. And what they were doing, in other words, was they were just sort of embracing the culture and saying, but what you, all you really need to be more spiritual is just to add one more thing. Obey this food law. Keep this Sabbath regulation. Be circumcised. And you don't have to change anything else about the way you live. But Paul's like, look, The entire island of Crete has a reputation for decades, if not centuries, throughout the known world of being liars, of being evil beasts and lazy gluttons. This is true. You've seen it for yourself. And Paul's not standing in judgment over them. He's like, how can we let them live in this any longer? But these false teachers... They were like the the pastor in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, who never says one word about the possibility of Alabama football being an idol. Or the pastor in prosperous and wealthy America that says, you don't have to, to worry about anybody but yourself. Just... Spend your money and be happy and don't care for the poor. Don't give to those in need. God's given you this stuff for you. And if you have enough faith, he'll give you more. These are shameful lies. But they gain a following, don't they? And so these false teachers could get more and more people to follow their way to lift up their reputation, to give them power and influence, and they never, ever, ever, ever actually touched the hearts of the people in their care and called them to Christ. They never confronted their idols. They never spoke against their greed. They never spoke against the things that kept them from coming to Christ. But Paul says in response... Rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. This isn't a cruel rebuke. This isn't a selfish, this isn't a self-righteous rebuke. This is a, a calling out that sin is sin. What's wrong is wrong. What is evil is evil. Let your rebuke be clear and unambiguous. Let it be sharp. Let it also be inviting that they may turn away from these idolatrous ways of living back into a sound and holy faith. Are we known for seeking to gain people to Christ with the truth? 
even if it means we have to say the difficult and hard things in love? Are we known for a heart to gain people, to gain souls for Christ? Or do we just want to follow him? These false teachers defrauded those in their care, and they taught them to be devoted to ridiculous things. It tells us that they were devoted to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. They loved these, these man-made philosophies and rules. Man-made philosophies and rules have something in common. They're easy. If you're making it up, you can attain to it. You can do it. You can follow it. You can get other people to do it. And if they don't agree with you, you can just shame them into agreeing with you. Right? Because what they've essentially done is they've rejected the good news of the gospel for another law, for another rule, for another, if you just do this, then God will like you. But the church, we have good news. He says here, to the pure, all things are pure. The church seeks to ground people in what is Pure, what is true, what is holy, what is righteous. What would that be? Would that be some philosophy that I came up with? Would that be some uh, religious ritual that I concocted on my own? Would that be some... It's Christ. We want to see people grounded in Christ. Are we known for being devoted to him? Not to man-made myths, not to our customs, not to our culture, not to our politics, not to our customs, not to our prosperity, not to our sense of fashion or taste in music. Are we known for being devoted to Christ the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is all righteousness and purity and glory and holiness and truth. These false teachers would have people follow after these man-made things, and in so doing, they defiled their minds and their consciences and the minds and consciences of all who follow after them. Right? To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They have, in rejecting the gospel, in rejecting the righteousness of Christ, in rejecting the salvation and forgiving forgiveness of Christ in order to pursue their own man-made laws, they have put themselves on a path where they have to earn the favor of God by what they think, feel, and do. And in order to get more and more people to follow after them, they either have to make that really, really easy. All you have to do is give me $10. And you'll get $10 times 10 back in return. Like the old televangelists of old. 
or they have to weaponize shame to keep driving you down the path that they want you to go. Oh, you're not pure enough. You need to stop eating this thing. Oh, you're not pure enough. You need to do this extra ritual. Oh, you're not pure enough. You need to follow this new rule. And maybe then God will be pleased with you. But the church, the church doesn't have a man-made rule. We have good news. We have the gospel. We have Christ who is all purity and is able to purify all who come to him. This is why Paul can say, to the pure, all things are pure. We can be pure in Christ. We don't have to to attain to some human level of righteousness in order to have the favor of God. God pours that favor out upon us in Christ. He came to seek and save the lost. He bore the sins and guilt of, of his people in his body on the cross. He died the death that they deserved. He rose again that we might have newness of life. And so we never have to bear that shame. It doesn't have to drive us. We never have to lower the righteousness and holiness of God to some attainable level because Christ has given us his own righteousness that we might stand in the presence of God, holy and pure, not through any work of our own, but because of what Christ has done for us. We don't have to always be second-guessing and always wondering and always afraid. Have I done enough? To make God pleased with me. Our minds don't have to be defiled with those lies. Because Christ purifies his people. Are we known as those who proclaim that good news? Are we known as those who proclaim a righteousness that's not our own? Are we known as those who invite anyone, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, no matter who they are, to the free offer of forgiveness in Christ? Because we have good news. You ever had really good news? Like, I don't know, maybe somebody bought you a lottery ticket for Christmas and you actually won. It's never happened to me in my life. But I hear. Or maybe maybe somebody you've been praying for got well. And it was just an amazing miracle of God. Or maybe you got a promotion at work. Right? We don't sit on good news. It just spills out. Call your mom, call your dad, call your spouse, tell the kids. You see your neighbor out in the yard. Hey, guess what happened to me? One time I was mowing my grass and I found $20 in the yard. I don't know. It was probably, if I don't know, maybe it was mine and it fell out of my pocket. I don't know. Maybe it was, I don't know. The wind blew it there. I don't, but 
I told everybody, I found $20 in my front yard. It's the most ridiculous thing. But we have the good news of salvation of souls and everlasting life. Does it overflow out of us? Are we known for that? These false teachers defiled people with their man-made laws and regulations. And in so doing, they disavowed the God they said they professed. Paul says they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. See, they had all the right talk. They could sound spiritual. They could sound religious. They probably even read their Bibles. They'd heard the gospel. They knew who Jesus was. They could talk intelligently about these sorts of things, but their fruit of their lives was wicked. And this is, this is why we cannot be content with a cognitive Christianity. We cannot be content with a Christianity that is only about the impartation of information. Because the Pharisees had all the information. These false teachers had all the information. We need more than just information. We need transformation. And so the church ought not to be known for just saying one thing and doing another, but for devoting themselves to the holistic discipleship of her people. This is why we do all of the things that we do. And you can't do everything. You can't come to every meeting. I can't come to every meeting. I'm the pastor. But this is why we do the things we do. And maybe you could avail yourself of them. Are you struggling to pray? Look, I could give you a book on how to pray. I could tell you how to pray. But maybe you already know these things. Come join us at 915 and pray with us. Do the thing instead of just thinking about the thing. Join the one-on-one discipleship group if you're more comfortable with that and just learn to pray with and for one other person. You struggle in your devotions to read the Bible or to to make sense of it, to know you read all this stuff in Exodus and it seems weird, like burning bushes and flames of fire. What am I supposed to do with that? That's what we're, we're all in the discipleship, one-on-one discipleship program, reading through the book of Exodus and talking about it together. And nobody has to be the expert. I'm sitting with my discipleship partner and we're reading something and I'm like, I went to seminary. I've probably read this no fewer than 10 times. And this is the first I'm hearing of it. Like stuff just jumps out at you and it's new. Are you wondering, what am I supposed to do with my kids? How am I supposed to navigate this issue in my marriage? We have small groups where you can get together with other people and make friends and get to a place where you can just say, hey, can we talk to you about something? We can live life together and not just know the answers, but live the truth we say we believe. These false teachers disavowed God by their works, but the church, we ought to be known for making holistic disciples of Christ. The last thing, these false teachers were known for disobeying God. Paul says they are are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Strange thing to hear. And the reason they were unfit for any good work wasn't because they weren't doing good things. 
they might have actually been doing great things. They probably had soup kitchens. They, pro- they probably were uh, helping out uh, people who were down on their luck. They were probably doing all sorts of wonderful things. But they were unfit for any good work because they weren't right with Christ. They were relying on their works to give them favor and merit before God. And there is no man, there is no woman who can do enough to earn the righteous, holy favor of God. Christ must make us fit for good works. This is why scripture elsewhere says that we are to be devoted to the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do because we are his workmanship. He makes us fit for good works. And there are going to be many on the last day who say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all of these good things for you? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. They never came to him to be made ready, to be made fit for the good works that Christ had for them to do. They tried to do their own good works in order to get Christ's favor. The church, on the other hand, is to be devoted to good works. Titus, uh, Paul makes this clear to Titus again and again and again. Be devoted to good works. Be devoted to good works. We're going to see how that works itself out. But the order matters. You can't be devoted to good works. You can't be fit for good works unless Christ makes you fit. You can't do good works to earn the favor of Christ. Having received the grace and favor of Christ, we ought to overflow with good works in thankfulness and gratitude to God to serve all those around us, even as Christ has served us. Are we known for living out that good news and how we live? What are we known for? What are we known for? You as an individual, Christian. We as a particular church, a presbytery, the church on the peninsula, the church in the United States, across the world, what are we known for? You know, there's, there's encouragement for you in this. The, more, the, the polarization in our culture more and more has resulted in Increasing numbers of people who do not actually know the name of a Christian. They don't have any Christian friends. They don't know any. And so their whole concept of what Christianity is comes from movies or newspaper or YouTube or whatever. There's there's space for you to just... Step into your neighborhood, into your workplace to get to know the people around you and to invite them to know the Lord that you know, to come to a a real understanding of what Christianity is all about, to a real understanding of what it means for us to put our faith in him. There's an opportunity there, just like there was for Titus. And the good news for us is this. Christ goes before us. He makes us fit. It's his person and work that has the power. It's his calling. It's his equipping. It's his majesty that we are proclaiming and not our own. Are we known for a people who point to Jesus? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would equip us to that end. That we might be a people 
We don't lift up our own selves or exalt our own platforms or pursue our own glory, but who live in obedience to you because of who you are and what you have done, who serve others around us because you have served us, who share the very love and grace and the good news of Christ. Because it is so precious to us, we can't hold it in. Make this so, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.